to the 107th Psalm of David to begin with this morning. We want to title our study this morning, God is our refuge in the storm. Our refuge in the storm. The 107th Psalm is a psalm that focuses upon the eternal values of God and God's sovereign rule over the stormy seas of time. It has been said that God's people are either coming out of a storm or preparing to go into one. So this is a very timely subject and one that has been on our hearts not only today but uh, many years. Uh, we have seen God's people pass through a, a ver variety of stormy seas, whether it's physical or financial, uh, whether it's um, loss of loved ones or uh, times of war and times of intense uh, suffering. Many of the storms of this life are, are real to our understanding and our experience. We've witnessed it over and over again. And today we're, we're living in a stormy time, politically, judicially, and spiritually. We're living in a day where the stage is being set for the global community to rise up and to take authority over all nations. Many of the corrupt politicians of our day are in the process of passing powers uh, governmental powers of America to foreign governments, the UN. And, uh, and it breaks our heart because we know where that ends. But then we began as Christians to apply the Bible to the circumstances and the situations that avail around us. And that's what I want to do with you this morning. I, I want to testify. I, I want to reaffirm that God is our refuge in every storm. I love this psalm. It's, a, it's a, a psalm that issues forth the sovereignty of God over all things, over all nations, over all circumstances. And, and I find it interesting in the beginning of this Thanksgiving psalm, you know, he says, give thanks unto the Lord because he's good. We know that God is good. No matter what our circumstance might be or what concerns we have upon our heart this morning, we know that behind that is the goodness of God. Even though we cannot see everything going on behind the curtains of heaven, from time to time we are able to get a glimpse of movement, uh, the shadows are moving behind the curtain of eternity and God's will is going to be manifest and is going to be accomplished. I, I think it's interesting to notice in verse 3 where the writer says, And gathered them out of the lands, talking about Israel, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. He's talking about the redeemed. All of the elect in all periods of time in all nations are being called by God's sovereign grace and born again 
and uh, receiving in some measure the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for his people. Now this is a, a good foundational verse to our study this morning because he says that uh, the enemies of God's people and the enemies of truth and the enemies uh, of God himself are, are, are seen in all four directions. It's as though God's people are surrounded. Do you ever feel surrounded? <laughs> I mean, like on every side? Do you, do you ever feel surrounded? Well, just think about the little nation of Israel in the day of David, King David. And, and if you look north, what do you see? You see Syria and Assyria, you know. If you look east, uh, toward the east, you, you see uh, Babylon and uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. If you look south, you see Egypt and there's Ethiopia and there's uh, Libya. And these are all ancient enemies of Israel. If you look west toward the Mediterranean Sea, you see the Philistines and beyond them the Greeks and the Romans. Everywhere that Israel would look, they would see those that would oppose them and those that would seek their destruction even to this day. These are still enemies of Orthodox Judaism. So it's interesting, this is foundational to what I want to speak about in this psalm. In this psalm, there are four illustrations of the consequences of disobedience from God's people. They are described in verses 4 through 9 as wandering in the wilderness. They are described as being imprisoned in verses 10 through 16. And then in verses 17 through 22... They're described as being exposed to various sicknesses and diseases, afflictions. But what I want to deal with with you for a little while this morning is the fourth illustration that God uses in this psalm to describe the experience of God's people in periods or times of disobedience when the storms of afflictions are opposing them. Verses 29 through 32. I want to back up and read with you uh, for the context of beginning with, with verse 21 and go all the way to verse 31 where 21 is repeated. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, and they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. Have you ever been in that way? They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then, underline then, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. They then... Are they glad because they be quiet? 
So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. See, the writer is saying that God is not only the one that sends the storm, but God is also the one that brings about the end of the storm. God is our refuge in the midst of the storm. Notice in verse 25, winds are controlled by God, God himself, not demons or angels or any uh, other form of authority or power, but God himself. He's the one that commands and raises the stormy wind. And what does that produce in the hearts and lives of God's people? Remember when ancient Israel was in Egyptian bondage? It was when uh, there was a Pharaoh that rose up that knew not Joseph, and they began to be afflicted. That's when they began to cry unto the Lord, and the Lord heard their cry and remembered his covenant. Not that God ever forgets anything, but in the experience of God's people, he remembers his covenant relationship with them when they turn to him. The song we sang in, uh, uh, the, 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 this morning, uh, in the midst of faults and failures, remember me. <laughs> in the midst of the stormy sea, Lord, remember me. It's not as though God would ever forget you. But in the experience of a child of God, it seems as though God is indifferent to our struggle or indifferent to us in the time of our storm. I think many of us can relate to this. Maybe God's not hearing what I'm saying. Oh, yes, he is. Because... He is our refuge in the midst of every storm. Now, let's go to a few verses and uh, in the Old Testament before we go to the New to show you where we're coming from. God is sovereign over our storms. Let's turn quickly to Isaiah, and these will be familiar to you. I know that, but that's all right. Maybe it'll be an, an encouragement to you if you are in a storm and if you're not in a storm, just hang on a little while. You'll be in one. It's a coming. In Isaiah chapter 25, listen to what Isaiah says in verse 4. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm. You, you've been our refuge, Lord, a shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. He's describing God himself. As we've been reminded already this morning, as God himself, is, he, he's the one that, uh, that makes life worth living. He's the one that nothing or no one can take away from us. And it's in his promises that will never fail that you and I will find the strength uh, to sustain us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of all the troubles that come in a broken and a fallen world. So Isaiah is bearing testimony with what the psalm said, that God is truly our refuge and our strength. 
one more verse in Nahum. I was thinking about this uh, this week, actually, um, uh, studying the Old Testament scriptures uh, in Nahum. The book of Nahum, chapter 1. Listen to what he says. In verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger. Aren't you glad of this? The Lord is slow to anger. That doesn't mean that he never gets angry. He's just slow to anger. Sometimes we look around us and we wonder if God is really seeing the evils of our day. If he really is uh, seeing what's going on in our government right now. Or what's going on uh, in the political spectrum and economically. When you go to the gas pump and you see a single woman with two children in the back seat getting three dollars worth of gas. Tell me there's not suffering. Lord, do you see this? You know, why, why aren't you doing something about this? There's all kinds of questions that come up in our mind about what we're seeing even in our day. But listen to what the Word of God says. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Nobody is getting away with anything. There is a payday someday, and you can rest assured of that. But listen to how he, uh, how he expresses that fact and that truth. He says, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. And before we leave this chapter, one of my favorite verses is verse 7. Can you read this verse out loud with me? If you have your Bible with you and open to Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Let's read this out loud. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Brothers and sisters, you can rest in that reality. You can rest in that truth this morning. And you can rejoice that you're not in your storm alone and it's okay to say amen too now let's go to the new testament matthew chapter 8 we're going to hit on a few verses on our way to acts chapter 27 but watch this see how god is using the storm to mold the faith and to mature his people in their uh, experience in this broken world. Listen to this in Matthew chapter uh, 8, beginning with verse 23. And when he was entered into the ship, his dis uh, this is talking about Jesus entering into the ship, uh, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea. I thought if you became a Christian, all your troubles were over. Have you heard any of that? If you just become a Christian, you're going to have all the wealth in the world you can stand. You're going to have good times. You're not going to have to worry about bad times anymore. All you got to do is just accept Christ. Have you heard any of that kind of teaching today? And yet when we turn to the Word of God, we find that that's actually where our troubles begin. It's when we're trying to do what's right. When we're trying to follow Christ. When we're trying to uphold his uh, banner. That's when we begin to suffer. Listen to this. Jesus is there. He's leading them into this ship. They go follow him into the ship. Tell me Jesus didn't know the storm was going to happen. Jesus, uh, tell me that he didn't know that they were about to go into a storm. Oh, yes, he knew. 
But he went anyway, didn't he? Listen to this. There arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Huh, now get this. This is showing uh, partially, uh, is showing the uh, humanity of Christ. He's exhausted. He's been working and in ministry all this time, and, and he's in the ship. Now, uh, do you think he's uh, worried about that storm? Do you think he's concerned that they're going to sink and go to the bottom of Galilee? In fact, I read an article recently that they found several uh, shipwrecks in the Sea of Galilee that, that they didn't even know were there for, for, for centuries. And uh, some of those ships date back to the first century. Can you believe that? So this is a real threat to the mind of these fishermen because they're in the sea and they're uh, seeing this great storm that has come about and Jesus is over there worried sick that they're not going to have faith enough in him. Worried sick that they're going to all drown and, and, and drop to the bottom of the sea. That's not what it says, Cody. Jesus was asleep. He's not worried. Neither should we be. But here the disciples, these are, this is our first glimpse of the Primitive Baptist Church in the New Testament. Worry warts. That's us. That's got to be us. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And that word perish in the Greek is apomoli, which means perishing. They're, they're, they're saying we're about to drown we're about to die you see they're concerned this way and he saith unto them why are you so afraid why are you so fearful O ye of little faith then he arose and rebuked the wind this is all he did he arose and rebuked the winds and, and the sea and there was a great calm he quieted the storm didn't he but the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the, uh, and the sea obey him? They marveled. They were in extreme amazement. What manner or sort or kind of man is this? <laughs> you know, they were more alarmed by the power that was inside the ship than they were about the immensity of the storm outside the ship. What manner of man is this? Well, this is the God who is our refuge in every storm. He's there with us. And, and what happens to you and I, as has already been expressed this morning, is not the weakness of the promises and power of God, but the weakness of our own faith. And our own trust. That's what happens to us. But I believe that's why the storms have to come. The storms must come in order for us to experience growth in our trust in God. As Brother Andy was reminding us this morning, you know, everything in this world can be taken away from us very easily. We're learning that. We're, we're learning that. Even our basic freedoms can be taken away from us. But brothers and sisters, Jesus can never be taken away. So that's why we trust in him and him alone. So the disciples had to learn this. And how did they learn it? How, how, how did they learn it? Jesus had taught them so many things already, and they thought they knew it. They, they thought they understood it. 
but they hadn't experienced it. And, and I believe that experience is many times the best teacher. And sometimes it's not actually the best teacher, but it's the most effective teacher. And when we are going through the storm, that's when our faith is being exercised. When that doctor comes to us and says, you know, there's really nothing more we can do for you. When you get that phone call in the nighttime and your greatest fear comes to pass. What do you do? Are you like the disciples? Lord, save, we're perishing. We're going, we're going to drown here. I believe that that's why the storms come. It's to remind us of our own weakness and his ability, his sufficiency for all our needs. Jesus taught those disciples that walked and talked and ate and slept and ministered uh, right alongside him those three and a half years, they had to learn the same way you do. They had to learn the same way I do. They had each of us have to learn this way. It's because we're, we're human, and we have to learn to trust the Lord. You don't just automatically begin to trust him. But ah, through time and through experience, you know that he's sufficient. And you know that he's with you in your ship. You're not alone in the storm. Isn't that a, isn't that a comforting thought this morning? Now, let's go. We're, we're going to skip uh, Luke 8. And we're going to go to uh, Mark chapter uh, 4. Let's go there first. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I want to... I want to uh, back up to verse 35, Mark chapter 4, and the same day Jesus had been teaching and, and preaching and uh, healing, um, and the same day when the evening was come, now it's going to get dark, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Now this is another uh, occasion in the ministry and life of Christ. This is not the same occasion as Matthew chapter 8. Because Jesus isn't the one leading him into the ship. The disciples are bringing Christ with them into the ship. And there's also other little ships alongside. And there arose a great storm, not just a tempest, but a storm, a storm of wind. And the waves beat uh, into, into the ship so that it was now full. Even though they were in the way of obedience, here we find the storm is still going to come their way. And he was in, and Jesus was in the hinder part of the uh, ship asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him, they awakened him, and said unto him, "Master, carest thou not that we perish?" Now here's an interesting question. Have you ever asked this question of your Lord? Lord, don't you care? Can't you see how 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 
heavy this burden is? Can, can you see how hard this lesson is? Can you see how weak I am? Can you see me in the midst of this storm? Carest thou not that we perish? Do you care? Have you ever asked the Lord something like that? I think so. If you haven't, you will. And Jesus arose, verse 39, and he rebuked the wind. And he said unto the sea, I love this, peace be still. Just one word, peace, and it was done. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? In Matthew, it was little faith, and here it's no faith. No trust, as it were. And they feared exceedingly. Watch this. They feared. That word fear comes from a Greek word that means terror. They were terrorized in their own heart exceedingly. And said one to another, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, the terror of God in the boat with them exceeded the terror of the wind and the waves around them. Have you ever been there, friend? Have you ever been there where you thought it's all over? Have you ever been there where you've been not only disappointed with yourself, but disappointed with God? Have you ever been there? That's where the disciples were in this text. They, they, are, in, um, they are in a storm, and they're seeking refuge and they have somehow overlooked the fact that Christ is the only refuge. That Christ has the power and the ability to change the circumstance that you are now facing. And he's the only one that can. And that's where you have to come to. You have to come to the place where you can trust in him and him alone. And trust in the fact of his goodness. Because you know that nothing is going to ever affect or inflict upon your life that does not first pass through the hands of a loving and a good God. I believe firmly in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 where the Apostle Paul said, All things work together for good to them that love God. He didn't say all things are good. He said all things are working together for your good and His ultimate glory. I can't explain that, Brother Kevin, but I believe it. I, I, I can't, I, you know, somebody says, well, uh, well uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago a fellow says, well, I want you to explain to me God. Boy, that was a, how, how do you explain God? Well, uh, what kind of a God would He be if He could be explained? I can't explain God to anyone, but I can trust in Him. I can believe that He's real. I can believe that He is my refuge in the midst of whatever storm might come against my faith, what might come against uh, my life, my family, my nation. I can still believe in that God that is going to sustain His people according to His plan and His purpose. Because you better understand that there's a purpose in every storm. Even though we might not be able to explain it. We still believe that God is going to be glorified some way through what's happening all around me. Now go to one of my favorite verses and my favorite chapters in Acts. 
the Acts of the Apostles that was written by Luke in chapter 27. Most of us recognize the context. You know, the Apostle Paul has been <laughs> imprisoned at Jerusalem, sent to Caesarea, stayed there for two years waiting for his trial. And finally, he appeals to Caesar, right? And he's put on a, a ship with soldiers and other slaves, and they're heading toward Rome. And listen to this in verse 14 of Acts chapter 27. But not long after, there arose against it, against the ship, a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And that word Eurocladon is a compound word. Euros means east wind, and Aquilo means uh, northeast. So this is a cyclone. This is like a tornado in the middle of, of the sea, of, of the Mediterranean Sea. A downspout of water and wind. Very dangerous. And when the ship was caught by these winds... It could not bear up into the wind, and we let her drive. In other words, they, they had no control over what was happening to that ship. What they did, they took down the sails. Remember the context. They, they had sails uh, that were driving the ship. They pulled those down because the wind was tearing their sails. It was so abrupt and so brisk. And uh, they, let, they let the water drive their ship, because they were totally out of control. Have you ever been in a place where circumstances around you were beyond your control? Now, there are some things that we can control and should control, but there's a lot of things that we have no control over at all, and that's what makes it so scary. We can't control what that judge says. We can't control what that doctor says. We can't control what this political entity might be doing. We can't control those things. And it kind of scares us. It's a storm. It's a real storm. What are we to do? Well, let's find out. We need to find out where our refuge is, right? Well... Uh, listen to what Luke writes uh, this account. He says, and, um, and running, uh, verse 16, and, and running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, uh, we, uh, may, uh, we had much work to come by the ship. The ship was falling apart, you see. Which, when they had taken up, they used helps, that's cables or ropes, under the, uh, uh, undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, they strake sail and, and so were driven by these winds. And they were exceedingly tossed with a tempest. The next day they lightened the ship. That means throwing overboard everything that wasn't uh, necessary. And the third day, three days now, the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. The word tackling there is the furniture of the ship. Whatever could be spared. And when, now this is a key part of our verse, our study, verse 20. And when neither sun 
nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, listen to this carefully, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Now, why was it so important for Luke to notice that you couldn't see the stars at night and you couldn't see the sun during the day? There was no way for them to navigate. They didn't know which way they were going. They didn't know where their ship would end up. And because of that loss of control, because of that loss of direction, they became afraid. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place in your own life where you didn't know which way to go? You didn't know which way to turn. You didn't know where your ship was going to end up. And Luke writes something here that even makes me a little suspicious. That even Paul, the great apostle Paul, might have looked at Luke and says, Well, I don't know. You know, it's been three days. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. And, and these waves keep beating, beating on the ship. And this ship is falling apart at the seams. And, and look at here, look at all this water coming into this boat. You know, Luke, this might be it. This might be the end of our journey, Luke. I'm suspicious. It didn't say that, but I'm suspicious that even Paul. Because Luke says, we... He was traveling with Paul. Luke says, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Did you know, brothers and sisters, that that is often the condition that God's people find themselves in? I'm mindful of Abraham losing hope that he was going to have a son. So he told the Lord in Genesis 17, I'll tell you what, I'll take my servant Eliezer. And I'll make him my son, and he'll be the heir. He'll be the one that you fulfill your promise through. He lost hope. But God says, no. (laughs) It's just not the right time. You're going to have a son through Sarah, and his name is going to be Isaac. And it's through Isaac that I'm going to raise up the Messiah. But even faithful father Abraham reached a place where he didn't have that hope, that expectancy of God's fulfilling promises. He didn't know what God was up to. I'm mindful of a woman named Naomi. Naomi said, don't you dare call me Naomi. You call me Mara from here on out. Because I don't have any hope. I tell you, my husband died. My two sons died. And all I have left is this Gentile daughter-in-law. And she just won't leave me alone. And she won't let me die in peace. She lost her hope. But God was up to something. And she didn't know why. God would give to Naomi something through Ruth that she could never have through any other person. He gave her Jesse. He gave her Obed, and and Obed's son was Jesse, and Jesse's son was a man named David. That was through little Ruth. Have you ever thought about that? But Naomi lost hope. 
See, it's characteristic. Think about Job. Job, in chapter 7, he, he said, My hope is quicker than the shuttle's weaver. Have you ever seen a shuttle's weaver? When one of the trips uh, to India, we, we got to watch them um, make a, a rug. And, and, and they still do it by hand. And they have these uh, ancient uh, weaving poles and, and this uh, grid that they have in front of them. And they sit there all day long and they, they use the weaver's rod to pull the thread together to make this rug. And Job said, my hope is quicker than a weaver's rod. You can't even hardly see it moving. It's very, very quick. It's very short. That's what Job said about his own hope. How about King David? You know, David after Absalom, you, you remember he mourned over Absalom? He thought, how can this be? My own son out of my own family ha has been treacherous, a traitor against me. How can I survive this? There, there is no hope for the house of David if you have of your own son that would betray you. He cried out to the Lord in Psalm 78, didn't he? He said, is there hope? Why, why, wherefore art thou cast down, O my soul? Don't tell me that God's children don't go through storms. All of these are great examples in the, in the Bible that you can point to and say, you know, he went through a storm and he got weak and he was afraid just like me and, and he made mistakes just like I do and, and, and yet God never forgot him. God never left him in the midst of that storm alone. He delivered him at the right time in the right way for the right purpose and ultimately it will be for his good and God's glory. So Luke is writing all hope. It just looked like it was all over. Have you ever been there, friend? If you haven't, I'm, I'm afraid you will be if you live long enough in this world. In verse 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood up. Aha! Now catch this, Brother Andy. Paul was quiet. See, that's why I'm suspicious. He, he might have been a little discouraged. Is it okay for God's people to get discouraged? I think so. Paul was, I, I really believe that the Apostle Paul was talking to Luke and he was saying, you know, this might be the end. After long abstinence, something's going to change the attitude of Paul. After long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not lose from Crete and have gained this harm. He tried, he, and loss, he tried to talk them out of it, but they listened to other counsel instead of a godly counsel. They listened to ungodly counsel, and that's how we get in trouble as a nation, as a people. Verse 22, and now I, listen, and now I exhort. Now that word exhort is a key word. It means encourage. See, that's what I believe the gospel does. The gospel, the word of God, encourages God's people. It helps them to stand strong in the day of adversity just by simply reminding them of where their help comes from and where their refuge is found. I'm exhorting you, Paul says, to be of good cheer. Huh? What? 
No sun, no moon, no, no start, no direction. Man, we're in the midst of the biggest storm and tornado we've ever seen. Our ship is falling apart. Our ship is uh, uh, sinking. Our ship is filling up with water. It just looks like uh, there's no way out of this. By the way, the word despair comes from a Greek word that means no exit, no way out. You know, it breaks my heart to read how teenage suicide is up over 60% in the last five years. Oh, I'd like to talk to them, Andy. I'd like to talk to every one of them that have given up on life and tell them there is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. He says, I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss. Listen, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. You know what he said? You know what he's saying? He's saying, yep, this ship is going down, brothers, but you're not going to be in it. <laughs> Why, Paul? Because you're so smart. Why, Paul, because you have so much education? Why, Paul, because you're so famous and popular? Why, why, Paul, why would you say this to us? Why would you tell us to be of good comfort and good cheer? And why would you tell us that none of us are going to die, but the ship is going to fall to pieces? We're not as good a swimmer as you are, Paul. Here's the reason, verse 23, For there stood by me, Right in the middle of the storm. There stood by me this night. It's dark, you see. The angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. Now, I want you to see that that's present perfect tense. He didn't say, I used to believe in him, but now that I'm in the storm, I don't believe in him anymore. I used to serve him. There's been many times I wanted to serve him, but not anymore. Any, any Lord, any master that, uh, that would uh, uh, allow me to go through such a storm, I'm not going to have anything to do with that kind of a master. Oh, Paul could have said several things like that. But the Apostle Paul was trusting in the only one that could rescue him in his storm. The Lord stood by me, the angel of God, whom I, whose I am <laughs> and whom I serve. And this is what he said to me. He said, I don't want you to be afraid. Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that are with thee. Wherefore, sirs, listen. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. This was the reason for Paul's confidence in the midst of his storm. Here are spiritual eyes, eyes that choose to see the unknown and to trust in the unseen. This is Paul's faith. That's why I believe he would write things 
like we read in Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 when he said if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven where I, whereof I Paul am a minister. You see the, the apostle Paul would write uh, when he got to Rome when he uh, got to Rome after the storm was over and he got to Rome, he sits down and writes a letter to the church at Colossae and he's reminding them that God is faithful, that his promises will stand, that he is uh, our hope in the midst of hopeless conditions. He is our confidence in things that we don't understand. He is uh, our rock in the midst of the stormy seas of time. He would write that after he got to Rome. I believe that if you would have given Paul a pen on that ship in the middle of that storm, he would have wrote the same thing. Because the Apostle Paul recognized, he recognized his own weakness. See, sometimes that's where our problem is. We don't recognize the part that pride plays in our life uh, or self-sufficiency. I can handle it. I can do it. I, I, can, I can go through this. Mm -hmm. We don't recognize how much we need Christ in our everyday life. That's why the storm comes. To show us that without Him, we can do nothing. But what did Paul write in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 from Rome, from the jailhouse in Rome? What did he say? We can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth me. That's what he said. Without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things. This morning, I want to exhort you. Whether you're coming out of your storm, whether you're just now going into one, or, or, or if you're among those that are waiting for yours to start, I want you, based on the authority of God's word to realize this morning that God himself is our refuge in every storm. Thank you for your very good attention. God bless you.